Welcome listeners to the meeting room. I'm Hayley. And I'm Karen. And um, we, with, we're doing another podcast and Karen will introduce our wonderful friend and um, guest um, on, for this podcast. Um, once we are the meeting room and we are journeying with wonderful ladies to in-create or to create um, authentic spaces for discussions around justice and anti-racism and how we do better. Thank you, Hayley. So, um, as Hayley said, we are very excited because we have um, Fundi with us this morning. And, um, yeah, Fundi, do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about perhaps how we met and who you are? And, uh, yeah. So, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Fundi Swa, and I am originally from Port Elizabeth. So, I've been coming to Cape Town on and off since I was a child um, and then I met the ladies through mutual friends and I think we've just sort of connected hmm. um, and and then the friendships have deepened and I've probably been more vocal than I should have about the podcast and that's probably why I'm here. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> um. Okay, so so tell us about where you grew up, uh, Fundiswa, and and what brought you to Cape Town. So I grew up in Port Elizabeth. Um, grew up in the townships of PE. We started off in New Brighton, which is probably the one of the older townships in Port Elizabeth. And then as people, I guess, progressed or developed, would move to different spaces. Um, the township I stayed at was predominantly for government workers and professionals. So my grandmother was a teacher, and so we got to grow up in in a fairly good area. Um, we weren't necessarily rich, um, but my family prided and valued education. Um, and so it was inevitable that from a young age I knew I needed to study so that I could get a job and make money. There was no other sort of narrative for me. Um, and so grew up in PE, started off in township schools. I think up until I was around um, eight. And because I'd gone to township schools and was fairly tall, um, we used to do a very silly test. If your arm could reach your ear, you were old enough for class. So I found myself in grade four at the age of eight. Sure. Um, so when my grandmother's sister suggested that I'd be moved to Model C schools, I should have then started um, grade five, but the school was like, we'll take her, but we're going to send her mm. back to her peers. Mm, sure. um, and so in 94, um, I started going to Sydenham Primary School um, and started in grade three with my peers. And, and I think... I'm grateful for that because then it allowed me to transition into my education in a pace where I was with mm. with friends. Mm. Um, and so from Sydney, I did well academically, went to Alexander Road High School, which would probably be the equivalent of a Westerford mm. um, in Cape Town and post matric, then moved to Cape Town to further my studies. Mm. But I've always been coming to Cape Town. Um, my mom was a student at UCT and she'd had me quite early. So for the school holidays that she didn't return home, mm. I would then, I spent the bulk of my childhood um, at UCT residences, mm. either in mm. September or um, during the Easter holiday. Mm. Mm. 
And so that's how I came to mm. be here to study. And I got my first job here. Mm. Um, I've always had a love for Cape Town. So just for our listeners, I was thinking you mentioned 1994. <laughs> yes. So for those of you who are, are not from South Africa, what is the significance of that year? Sure. The significance of that year, even to an eight and nine-year-old me, was the first free elections in South Africa. Um, the My home was opposite a school called Spencer, and so that was um, a voting station. And I remember... I took my great grandmother to vote for the first time. Mm. Um, I pushed, couldn't even walk. I pushed her her wheelchair, and she passed that year. Mm. Um, and so that year was probably also when fuller integration took place mm. um, in South Africa and in South African schools. It had started earlier, mm. so I think from around 1990 would have been when um, former Model C schools. Um, even private schools started taking um, kids of color. But in 94 is when, I guess, um, the doors opened a bit wider. Mm-hmm. And and also, similarly, won't you just give a little description of them? You've spoken about a former Model C school. So what, mm-hmm. what's that, what was that about? So if we look at South Africa's landscape, there would have been schools based on spatial planning um, within a particular city. So um, black people would have lived in what we would classify as townships, Mm. um, and those would be either black areas, it would be colored areas, Mm. it would be Indian areas, depending on the makeup of the province that you Mm. lived in. Um, And in those areas, there would then obviously be facilities. Mm. So you'd have your shops, you'd have your schools um, based there. And so... A township school would be a school that catered to the kids of that particular area. Mm. A Model C school would have been a school in a what we would call a white area. It would have been a school that would have been better resourced in terms of getting the former apartheid government's um, state funding towards mm. the school. Um, and I'd even say maybe sometimes even the requirements of the teachers would have been different. Like, so I come from educators. So my grandmother taught at the same primary school her whole life. Um, She had, and I'll I'll get these wrong, but I think she had a a junior certificate Mm. or something, Mm. and she could teach in the school. It's only in, I think in 94 um, or around there, I can remember my grandmother, they call it furthering her education um, at the teacher's college, which was called Algoa Teaching College. And then she got a, I'm assuming what would have been a teaching diploma mm-hmm. or something, but mm-hmm. she'd been teaching for, my God, close to 20 mm-hmm. some odd years, or if not 30 mm-hmm. at the time she did sure. that. So you can almost see what I assume is also different requirements mm-hmm. for people mm-hmm. to be able to teach in the different, mm-hmm. in the different schooling sure. systems. Sure. I just want to ask you, you touched um, on, well, you, you mentioned that your mom was at UCT. Um, so we're looking at pre pre ninety four. Yeah. Um, has your mom ever shared with you how that experience was? Because I think for me, mm. I only arrived in nineteen ninety one at UCT, but to be a person of color, mm. um, so many more years before that must have been quite hard. 
Yeah, so I've been privileged in that my mom and, and her friends, I mean, her varsity friends I know well, and a former boss of mine um, was at UCT. So I'll start with my boss, Sydney. Sydney got to study engineering at UCT in the 80s. Sure. Mm. Mm. Um, and so someone would be like, okay, what's the big deal about mm. that? The big deal would have been he would have needed permission yeah. from the mm -hmm. government to be able to go study at UCT <laughs> instead of, um, uh, I'm going to call it maybe a Bantu mm -hmm. university. Mm -hmm. um, so they would have wanted to know why is he not going maybe to Forte? Mm -hmm. Why is he coming to UCT? And then only on being granted that permission mm -hmm. could he mm -hmm. then come and study sure. um, at UCT. So that was for... Sydney's he was there the 80s mm -hmm. um, my mom I don't think she needed to do that um, I think mm -hmm. she started at UCT the time that things were beginning to shift okay. mm -hmm. um, but I mean <laughs> I've forgotten someone's just recently passed from from UCT um, so I think it was I think it was the VC, so old Jewish mm -hmm. man he passed I think last year mm -hmm. um, and my mom was heartbroken and she said the reason she was heartbroken is because that man would stand in front of the police and say, you do not touch my students. Mm. Whereas my mom's peers and counterparts mm. were being beaten up at UWC. Mm. Sure. Mm. Sure. Um, and so for her, she's like, I'll never forget what that, mm. what that man did for us mm. uh, as a student body. They were quite uh, militant. They were quite active. Mm. Uh, if I listen to my mom's stories of they've gone to this person's funeral or, or this has transpired. Um, but like there's small things. Like my mom says she stayed in res in, um, in Musenberg. Mm. Mm. And she's like that res predominantly was full of people of color. Sure. Which is so far away from, from the UCT, university. Yes, because the, the ones on the UCT campus was obviously very, even when I was there, it yeah. was ma were many white students that lived. But she did move. I remember at some stage, I remember going to see her. She was at Woolsack, mm. so it was on middle campus. And then eventually she moved into JP Dominicourt, which was on the main road in okay. Mowbray. Um, but she had a good body of friends and, and they, they lived through, mm. they lived through an experience apartheid in its fullness. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Now, I mean, none of us, well, this is my, my thinking anyway, that none of us have been left untouched by what transpired in South Africa. Um, how do you think living in South Africa shaped you? I think the first thing is just how easily I reference people by, by race. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I think you only begin to appreciate that when you engage with people from other mm. countries. Yeah. That, that, don't, that use different references. <laughs> they used to, uh, yeah. They'll say, oh, it was a short woman. Yes. And I'm like, you say, no, man, it, it was the colored lady. Yes. You just walked yes. past. Yes. Yes. Um, I think that's one. I think, secondly, I might not have lived in an away state of apartheid in South Africa. So I was born in 85, mm -hmm. but there's a lot that happened in my family because of apartheid that shaped me. Yeah. Um, so I have um, very politically active family. Uh, my uncle left 
I think when he was 16 or 19, um, he left the country to become um, a part of Nkondo Wesizwe. Okay. Um, my grandmother um, and step-grandfather were arrested when I was, the year I was born, my mom tells me, because she remembers she carried me on her back mm -hmm. and she was like 20 at the time. Um, she carried me on her back and she was busy writing letters to Amnesty International so that um, they could help out sure. um, with my grandparents. Um, I've watched my grandmother have a fear of white people. Mm. Um, and that's not a fear... Like, I'm afraid of snakes. But I've never been bitten by a snake. Mm -hmm. I'm just afraid. Um, it, it, it's, it's a fear of being harmed. Mm. It's it's a knowing fear. It's not an imagined fear. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, my mom also her perception and views of of people of different races mm. because of what they've lived through. Mm -hmm. um, PE was a hotbed of unrest. Mm -hmm. um, I know my mom and my aunt have gaps in the educational history mm. because schools needed to be closed mm. for a year. Mm. They might close schools. Mm. Um, and so on the back of coming from very militant people, um, people who, who suffered greatly, mm. it has shaped my views on who and what I am, um, what my responsibilities are. Mm. So... I've never missed a national election. And I don't mm. think I will ever not vote. Mm. I will never take for granted the privilege of being mm. able to vote. Mm. And uh, funny that you should say that, because I think a lot of our um, younger generation, because they're not aware of the cost mm. of that privilege, take it for granted. And um, I mean, it's always been... Remember the last election, we had this big debate, mm. um, and, and they would say, oh, you know, nothing's going to change, mm. or mm. they're unhappy. They, we've never been um, taught how to be active citizens, because yeah. if you think about it, in the apartheid era, the, the white people were looked after by the government, so they don't realize that there's a responsibility as a citizen mm. to actually make this country better. You know, and and for all. So mm. I, I, it's, it's yeah. funny that you should say because I don't think um, we're slowly getting there with mm. the rise, with the increase in non-profit organisations where people are realising actually there's something mm. we can do about it. So it's that active citizen, and it's it's what we understand by democracy. Yeah. Mm. So I always like to think that your vote is the beginning yeah. of yeah. your yeah. citizen, your active citizenship, yeah. and your beginning of your democratic right. Thereafter, yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff that one ought to be doing yeah. um, holding those accountable which you've given the privilege of leading your yeah. your country of but also um, with freedom comes, comes responsibility. responsibility it's it's yeah. it's a fine balance yeah. you know yeah. you don't get to that freedom is it's not gonna it's going to it's cost absolute, you something is it? Yeah. yeah so and i think it's as south cost. africans we don't often realize the cost yeah um but uh, but it's it's so interesting, Fundi, talking because the meeting room part of what we did was, um, what well, well, part of what we're doing is educating um, the ladies and one another and ourselves. Mm -hmm. So as you're talking there, you're you're unlayering yeah. some of the stuff for mm -hmm. us. It's so helpful to be reminded mm -hmm. 
of the history of this country. Um, and it's linked to young people perhaps not seeing the need to vote or being, or being discouraged. Or it's the disconnection. Yeah. So it's very helpful. Um, yeah. So something that I think we have spoken about in the past and we've mentioned in one of our other previous, you know, what, previous podcasts that as people of color, mm-hmm. um, in the middle class especially, you are existing in white spaces. Mm-hmm. Now before I want to talk about how you navigate whiteness, do you have, do you have a definition of whiteness that maybe you would like to share with our listeners that's worked for you or that's easy to understand? I don't. I have. I have anecdotes. Okay. Um, well, then share the, <laughs> share the anecdotes. So, I mean, so from fairly from a fairly young age, I went to model C schools, and in in primary school, I knew my white friends looked different, but I still didn't understand race fully. I mm. I, I, I truly didn't comprehend it. I think the first inkling was when one of um he was the head boy in in our primary school liked the deputy head girl um so the head boy was black the deputy head girl was white and the answer she gave for not dating him was my dad wouldn't approve mm. and and i think it, um, i remember the words but in my young mind it was lost mm. on me mm. Mm. and then i went to high school and i hung out so it was very strange. So I took the bus in the morning with the other black kids coming from the townships, then got to school, would spend my lunch with my white friends, and then in the afternoon go play with my with my black friends and go back home. And I don't know what shifted for me in in I think it's just grade nine, standard seven. There just became an awareness that my black friends thought of me as a coconut. So uh, black on the outside, white on the inside. I listened to what would be called the white radio stations. Mm-hmm. I liked the music. Um, but they they took me. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Whereas in my white circles, I don't know if I'd gone there mentioning black artists mm. and and being fully black if I would have been as equally received. Mm. Mm. So the reception of me with my white friends seemed to be conditional to me being pseudo-white. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and I can articulate this now. Yeah. I don't know how my brain glued and pieced this thing together in high school. But from that year, I chose to hang out with my black friends. I stopped. I, I pulled back. Um, and then I had, I obviously were friendly with everyone. And I believe the school I went to really went out of its way to embrace diversity. And, and I will commend, I think Alex was amazing at that. Um, you, you could do whatever with your hair. Um, one of the science teachers was a black lady. So I think wherever you see a school that puts people of color in in sensitive subjects, mm, yeah. <laughs> and by sensitive subjects, I mean subjects that are key to what we perceive as professional success. Mm. So math, science, technology, if you've mm. got a person of color running that department or teaching in that space, that, that shows a level of a school that has worked through some things. Mm, yeah. And that was available when I was at my school. Um, I could take Kosa as a matric subject, mm, 
They just needed to be 12 of us mm-hmm. to warrant the school. So the school in and of itself was actually advanced for the time I was at school, yeah. now that I think mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so those small inklings of, but why aren't my white friends coming to sleep over? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why am I having to go to Lovemore Heights? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when I think I began to see there's a difference here. Mm-hmm. And that is when I would have then classified things as, oh, it's okay, this is so white person, this is a white way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to shift up my intonation so you can pick it up. Um, so there's an appropriate way of speaking mm-hmm. so that I can be received, that I can articulate myself very well, um, and that people believe that I am intelligent and worthy of being in the space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that is me shifting. Mm-hmm. I do that um, when I walk into certain yeah. spaces, yeah. when I see the lay of the land in terms of who's in the room mm-hmm. and what's the easiest way for me to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not being received, I'm assimilating. Mm-hmm. I'm having to shift to blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, I do, because obviously as a person of color, tick, 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 I've done all of that. I do wonder... Um, what that does to our psyches because mm-hmm. it's I almost feel like our brains are like you know when you have the something um, uh, that's been um, there's electric circuit that is short circuiting I almost feel like it, our brains do that so you go from being articulate talking about subjects that in essence are white subjects and uh, I mean I do I you just do did your intonation I hope you picked up that I did, shift I did I, I did shift <laughs> and and so I. For me, um, I sometimes assimilate because it's too exhausting. Actually, just to to actually be myself, and then having to explain that this is actually me. And why do you why do you assimilate <laughs> in white spaces? It's easier, hmm. um, and I also actually I wasn't aware I did it. So let's just start there. Um, I'm married to a non-South African. My okay. husband is from Zimbabwe. And my God, we had fights about this. Mm. And he's like, where's my wife? I'm like, I'm here. What do you mean, where's your wife? He's like, Mm-mm. I don't know who that person was. Mm. Sure. So when we go to spaces, sometimes we're like, okay, we're going to be with white people. <laughs> it's okay to be yourself. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's It sounds... Ludicrous. Like someone has to give you permission to be yourself. It yeah. sounds ludicrous, okay. but my husband actually does that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one, I think there's been a lack of awareness that I did that. Yeah. Um, I think the first place that I ever read about that beautifully was in Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime. Mm. Uh, and he speaks so beautifully about shape-shifting, mm. yes. depending yes. on the community and the yeah. audience that he was with. Mm. Um and I think if you've been in middle-class white spaces, you learn very early on that you need to shift. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because mm. um, whiteness is the standard yes. that everyone is subscribed to, subscribing mm. to, and it's seen as the right standard. And so mm. you... I find that as I'm getting closer to 50, I'm getting more exhausted by trying to assimilate. Mm. So I'm trying to show up more as this is who I am. Mm. Um, 
which I don't think will go down well with, you know, with certain people because then you have to confront what they're saying. And if something's offensive to you, mm. you have to confront it. And I think it's that, those little things that come up in white conversations, in white spaces, that then sits in your psyche. Mm. So I'm going to be devil's advocate. Um, Karen knows me for this. I'm always pushing back on people of color. So I think I've, I've got friends of mine who... So I'll use my aunt. So my aunt will be unhappy with a helper. So I have a helper and she's not happy with the nanny or whatever the person's doing. And my aunt will take a lot. Mm. Her ability to absorb nonsense is beyond me. Mm. And she takes and she takes. Mm. But there comes a point in my aunt's life where she decides I'm done. Mm. Mm. And she's done. She's mm. done with you. She moves on. The disadvantage to that is... My aunt has been on a journey with whatever you've been doing to her that she's not happy with mm. for months, for a year. Mm. And so when she's made a decision, it's a year-long decision. Yeah. Mm. But it's a year-long decision that the helper or the nanny has not, not been privy. Yeah. So I think that's what sometimes we do. So that's why I want to push back mm. on people of color to say, you see, when I assimilate, I not only rob myself of the freedom of giving myself room to mm. figure out what I like and what I don't like. Mm. But I rob the people that I do life with of knowing mm. me. Mm. So if I've been quietly mm. sitting by when um, distasteful jokes or comments are made, and I've been doing this now for 10 years in my friendship, mm. and now because I've been on my 10-year journey, <laughs> I now raise it. Yeah. For that person, it's day one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it's year ten, yeah. Yeah. day point one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes there's there's just that awareness that we need to have for relationships, um, and for keeping our relationships um, with people that we love. Mm. Um, I think we are also in a privileged space that humanity mm. is shifting to be more conscious of mm. of just who we are as people. Mm. Yeah. Um, I remember when um, the Fees Must Fall movement was happening, I was like, where is this statue that is bothering these students? <laughs> I didn't know where the statue was. Mm. And I mean, I didn't have a car at Varsity. So mm. I walked from lower campus to upper campus. Mm. I have passed that thing so many <laughs> times. Mm. But at the time I was at UCT, I was not conscious mm. of that. I mean, I'm like, where's this thing? Because it's not Rhodes Mim. They're, they're mm. having a separate conversation. Mm. Where's the statue on campus? Mm. I lacked that awareness. Yeah. Mm. So I think we mustn't forget that we're in a privileged season of life where mm. there's greater awareness. Mm, sure. um, so I think that's good for all of mm. us. It's good for people of color to say, oh, but actually, I don't like it when that happens. Mm. Um, and then to to grapple with themselves as to why mm. they don't like that. Mm. Um, I I'm a, I hate I hate victims. Mm. Mm. I think it comes from being a a controlling person. My disposition is to control spaces, and we must own ourselves. So I don't like victims. So I don't like being a victim to someone. Mm. And so then I'm always wanting to understand, okay, what's happening in this space? How am I behaving? What can I reflect on and learn? Mm. Um, and so one of the big things that's happening for me now professionally is I work for a very 
meticulous organization. Um, and I could do one of two things. I could say, if let's say I get critiqued um, by someone at work. I could say, it's because I'm black. Mm. There they go, white people. Or I could reflect back and say, Fundiswa, are you doing your work at a standard that you are happy with? Mm. Ignore what anyone else would say. I've got my own standards. Mm. I believe I'm a person of excellence. Did I do this to the best of my ability? Mm. No, I didn't. Is this person loving me by helping me grow? Mm. Or are they seeking to destroy me? Mm. Because there's a way of giving feedback, whether it's mm. coming from a person of color or a different race, mm. it doesn't matter, where you're either building someone up or tearing mm. them down. But I find that sometimes we are too comfortable as people of color to, to make it a, a race thing mm. and to also disempower ourselves. Mm. in the process, in the conversation and everything that's happening. Mm. Um, and we've got to own our pieces. I know there have been relationships with people from other races where I have been I haven't been authentic. I haven't shown mm. I haven't shown up as myself. Mm. Um, and I have robbed that relationship the fullness that it could have had. Mm. Mm. Um, and I've got my very good reasons why mm. I wouldn't have shown up as myself mm. and I'm not mm. discounting them. Mm. But I think for for us to to own our our mental space as well as people of color, mm. we've got to slow down a bit more and interrogate the things we are feeling mm. and why we mm. are feeling them. Mm. And then secondly, question the spaces that we are in and whether they we are, are going are they helpful mm. and are we going to assimilate or are we going to do the brave thing and speak up because mm. i know a lot of spaces where people of color are and we assimilate mm. and we are part of the problem mm. or leave i mean if it's a space that's not qualified you can leave but then you see that's that's more advocacy and that's more active and ownership than mm. you know what the sad thing is though which i find is that, and I'm aware that you are quite a few years old, younger than Karen and I, so literally are different generations. I'm finding that your your generation and younger, the the need to be authentic, as we've seen in the gender space and the race space, is is a priority for them. Mm. And so this is something that they're constantly working on. My my um sad uh, there's sadness when I think of the older generations mm. because I think given that they were in the heart of segregation mm. and the heart of apartheid, that they don't have the tools that they need. Mm. And so when I look at um, like my, my in-laws or my parents' spaces, mm. it's still very much the colored space mm. because um, they didn't have the tools or the language to, to navigate that. And, so, and when they do show up in the white spaces, mm. they're not authentic. So I think there is a sadness with the older generations mm. of being robbed of the value of a, of diverse um, relationships, mm. and I and I oh, and I agree with that, and I mm. and I think it probably exists in in all spaces. Yeah, because if I mean I look um, at at older generation, um, mm. people might work with certain people, and they might have good relationships, but whether those relationships are mm. are solid friendships. Mm. Mm. Um, that can do life with each other, yeah. um, where there is a, sure. an exchange of cultural norms yeah. Yeah. and values. Yeah. 
Um, so it's like so my my father-in-law passed away earlier on this year. Mm. So for for people of color, funerals are a costly thing. Mm. But now people of color know this. So what what my black friends did was then they would send umkondo, which is like a spear. Mm. So they'd send a bit of money mm. and to say towards the funeral. Yeah. That's the cultural norm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in my in my white circles, the cultural norm is let's maybe alleviate the um, the admin of things that you need to do. So we'll give you a meal yeah. so that you don't have to yeah. cook. Yeah. But if I'm not in spaces where I'm sharing that openly, yeah. I might look at my right friends as not doing enough. Yeah. Um, or but no one's sharing how we handle and we yeah. process mm. grief. Yeah. So people want to love and they want to care, but they actually don't know how to navigate. Because yeah. Yeah. how do you love? <laughs> yeah. How do you truly love people if you don't know one another? How do we do that? Mm. I mean, you're just like blowing my mind there. It's like, so. so I think, I think yeah. that for me is the sadness yeah. of what we're losing with, with, with the older generations, yeah. maybe not being as open in that we, we then don't, we don't get to love each other as mm. well as we could. Mm. Um, but I, I also sure. have a bit of hope because, I mean, I, my, my mom's got a, an Afrikaans colleague, it's an older lady. That lady, I've never met her. She's obsessed with my daughter. She knows when my daughter's birthday is. She sends gift via my mom. She's having a whole relationship with, with my daughter. Mm. And that is because of the friendship she mm. has with my mom. Mm. So I do see small glimmers mm. of, hope. Uh, of hope where people are willing mm. to engage and open up. Mm. Um, and then to just give each other room to love each other mm. and to, to just figure things mm. out. I think mm. my gifting is I've got a very strong personality and my family has actually allowed me to have that personality mm. and to be opinionated and it helps now that I'm older mm. and I'm no longer plagued by the need to fit in. Mm. Mm. And it also comes with time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm in a season of life now where I'm quite comfortable to not fit in. Mm. I'm actually even getting to a space now where I'm okay to show up in rooms and mm. be quiet. Mm. Nothing quiet or shy about me. But I'm mm. happy to just sit and to observe mm. and to figure out, oh, okay, I can I can mm. be this. Mm. I, mm. I can be true to who I am um, and still love and, and honor the next person. Mm. 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 I love that. Sure. Beautiful. So, Hayley, you mentioned this word diversity and earlier on you <laughs> also did, Fundi, and... It's a, it's a, it's a in vogue word. Mm, very in vogue. <laughs> so if we, if we're thinking about diversity, mm. um, let's talk about it. <laughs> how, in part, you've started to unpack a little bit how we can create um, truly authentic, diverse spaces where everyone has a voice and is valued. So, if we were to imagine a little bit, building on some of the stuff you've already been talking about. How can we do that better? How can we be better at doing that? So I, I, I like to share in stories. Um, so I've dated <laughs> and I've eventually gotten married. And I think it is in my marriage that I have 
had the freedom to become myself. And why is that? The reason it can happen in my marriage is one, my husband has ensured that he affirms that regardless of who and what I am, he's here to stay. Mm. He's here for the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm. That gives me a freedom to show him glimpses of myself that I would have probably never shared with anyone. Mm. Sometimes they shock me. So that acceptance and commitment mm. to me as a human being has been important. Mm. Um, there is a pushing back in my marriage that I, I struggle with. <laughs> um, I gave the example now of my husband having conversations with me before we enter certain spaces. Mm. But what that does is it forces me to think about what are my intentions as I enter mm. this room, this meeting, this party, this dinner? And I share this in my marriage because sometimes when we talk about things like diversity and community, we make it sound like these far-fetched things. Mm. And what we are talking about is how we relate to each other. Mm. And so when we talk about mm. having an opportunity to do life together, who are the people that you open up to? Who are the people that you go out of your way for? It's people that do life with you. Mm. Um, it's people that you can and call and say, I'm not going, mm. <laughs> help me. Mm. It's the spaces where you, you feel that what you have to say, what you think, and who you are matters. Mm. And so I think... For diversity to take place, we need to find out what is holding us back from caring about each other. Mm -hmm. Because when you care about someone, mm. you go out of your way for mm. that person. Mm. Um, convenience ceases to be a priority. Mm. Your comfort ceases to be a mm. priority. Um, mm. But you cannot do these things for someone you do not care about. Mm. It shows up mm. when you do things because you're supposed to do them and when you do things mm. um, out of love, mm. it shows mm. up. Mm. Um, and people might not be able to articulate what it is, but they they sense mm. that it all is not well, mm. all is not genuine. Um, all is not true. Mm. So I think when we talk about diversity, let's leave, mm. let's leave the buzzwords, let's leave everything else. The question is, do I care about you ladies? Mm. Um, and if I care about you ladies, what am I willing to do for this relationship to grow? Mm. Um, what discomforts am I willing to endure mm. um, for, for this relationship? Mm. And, and trusting that if mm. we put in the work, there can be a better future. I mm. think since becoming a mom, there is a greater burden on mm. me about this world mm. and how I live it mm. than there was when I wasn't a parent. Mm -hmm. um, I am deeply aware of this human being mm. and the world she's going to grow up in. And, and I would love for her to to have genuine community mm -hmm. um, I would love for her to 
to have water to drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so all of those things then shape how I engage mm-hmm. with life right now. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, what do you care about? Mm-hmm. And that then will guide whether diversity, mm-hmm. whether taking care of the world yeah. um, and sustainability, whether all of those things mm-hmm. actually matter to you or they mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. So we can't, we can't pluck it on mm-hmm. the outside. We can't be fake. Mm-hmm. It's never going to work. We have to, the word authentic, we have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I love what you, you said because I think you described the meeting room in mm. essence. That's the space that we always, sure. we're aiming to create where hard things are said. But because I care about you, yeah. and even though you are a different race, I care about you. Yeah. Therefore, I'll hold those hard things and let's see how we can do better. Yeah. 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 Sure. I think that's that's why we started it. Eh? We, this is this is what Sorry, we wanted. I'm still busy. Yeah, I'm still busy processing. Looking at me like I'm supposed to answering you. I'm like, what? What are you saying? Is your brain short circuiting? <laughs> I'm still on what you were saying. Okay. <laughs> but that is true. That is why we started it. Well, there were three three yeah. little goals to it, but that that is definitely one of them. But I think that's really struck me that like deeply. We cannot be fake around this stuff. People, it's obvious when you're fake. You can't be tickled. I mean, you think yeah. of, I was thinking like when you're talking, so um, it's easy to hear in friendships, okay, I can, I can, I can care about my friends. But now if you take that concept that you're talking about, now we take it, I'm, I'm thinking of in the place where we're busy having this conversation, so at my children's school. So, so now it's the same model. It's the same idea. We can't fake it. You have to care deeply, and it's all those layers. Do I care enough about my community that my children are growing up in, the country that we're leaving them, you know, from the environment to the community? It's all of that. So it works out, and in the workplace, it's the same. Am I just doing it fakely because, well, now we must do it, and so we're ticking all the boxes? No. It's... Yeah, so sure. I've, I've, I've moved, I've started in a new place of work, and so I've been like, they've got long tenured stuff, we were just mm. talking about it, I was like, why are people staying here? Mm. And I think in the last, mm. been there for three months, I've seen it, it's, there's a genuine caring for people mm. at director level, mm. at the people who are running the organization, they... I, I, I don't know. Yeah, so you hear a lot of buzzwords when you when you incorporate mm. like a, a culture statement. We care about our people. Mm. We honor mm. our people. We value our people. But I think this is one of the few spaces where I have seen it in action. Mm. Sure. And and I think the question then is all the things that we say <laughs> matter to us. Mm. How is that reflected in how we behave and mm. act? Because it's good for me, so I, I'm a Christian, and I would say I believe that we are all created in the image of God. Mm. Um, okay, great, Fundi. Um, so what does that mean then about you going out of your way to foster friendships and relationships with Indian people, mm. with white people, mm. with colored people? Um, if if I look at my friendships, how diverse are they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me, big 
image of God person that I am. Mm. Mm. And and I say that not because I've excelled at it. I say it. It's a challenge yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. But what it does reflect is that maybe I'm very good at saying I I believe this and I value it. Mm. But how it plays itself out and how I live mm. belies that. Yeah. Mm. And I mean yeah. I think it's. As Karen said, it's easier done in a friendship because you, there's a connection, mm-hmm. you, you care. But when I listen to your story about your work and the directors, mm-hmm. I think is when we start seeing people mm-hmm. as human beings made in the image of God with value and mm-hmm. dignity and mm-hmm. worth, it should, it should um, influence the mm-hmm. way we relate to them. Um, and I think that is the hope I hold out for in, in spaces mm. where you're wanting to make it more diverse, but it's not in friendship circles. Mm. Because if you see that person with uh, in made the image of God, having value and worth, you relate to them as a human being. Mm. And they're not, a, they're not a statistic. They're not a nice little tick box on the BEE scorecard. Mm. You suddenly relate to them as a human being, knowing that there's commonality, yes. but there's difference, and there's respect for mm. that difference. Yeah, there's a beautiful ad. Really, um, I don't know if it was Heineken beer or... It was, it was a beer, I think. And they put people in a room of different races, shapes and sizes, and, like, and they put them in a room and they ask a question... Um, something like who's lost a loved one step mm. over the line oh yes, yes. and people would step over the yes. line yeah. and they'd asked um, I don't know something silly maybe who's broken uh, a limb yeah. and people will step yeah. out and what you began to see yeah. is more holds us together yeah. than separates us mm-hmm. but we are so good at maybe fixating on our differences mm. so maybe we will fixate on sexual orientation. Mm. But maybe if we took that out of the room, we'd find that we love watching the same TV shows. We were obsessed about whatever. There's more commonality. Mm. Um, If we took out race, you'd find that, ooh, oh, you're a big sports fan. Mm. Okay, oh, oh, you love doing this. And we can actually genuinely connect as people Mm. beyond the surface titles mm. that we we hold on to. Mm. Mm. Sure. I love that. Connect. Because yeah. that's what it's... I mean, we yeah. could actually have this conversation for the next two hours. <laughs> yeah. But I think we kind of need to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all three of us can have a good old jabber. Yeah. But, so yeah. much to think. Thank you, Fundi, Thank you, for Fundi. giving up yeah. your time and your wisdom and just sharing your heart and your story and challenging which you you do to me all the time <laughs> challenging us hey Haley. yeah um i think that people are going to really value the things that you you've been telling us here and oh, thank you thank you so much Wendy. really appreciate it until next time bye